I hope everybody's doing okay this morning, this evening, I'm sorry, it's this, this evening. You know, I'm as nervous as a guy going on his first date with the prettiest girl in the whole neighborhood, but I married her, you think I would have got over that by now, but just look over me, I'm a little nervous, believe it or not, I don't know why, but I still get nervous no matter how many times I do this. Uh, believe it or not, I'd like to talk to you about snowflakes this evening. But first of all, I want to start by saying, has anyone here ever heard of Wilson Bentley? Oh, two people have. I've never heard of him until I did this research. All right. Well, I'm very impressed. And they were women. After all, women are smartest, I've heard. Anyway... <laughs> So he was born in 1865, and he died in 1931. He was born on a farm in Jericho, Vermont, an area with an average annual snowfall of over 120 inches. At the age of 15, they call him Will sometimes, William Wilson Bentley, he started drawing snowflakes while looking at them through his microscope. Yes, they had microscopes back then. It wasn't easy because most of them, as you can guess, had always melted before he could complete his drawing. At the age of 16, however, he learned about a camera that could be used with a microscope. His parents saved the money, and when Wilson was 17, they bought him the camera. It took him over a year of failures before he finally achieved his goal, and that was to photograph a snowflake. This was the first time that a photograph of a snowflake was ever taken. Bentley eventually made thousands of such pictures. He made them for universities and science magazines. And at the age of 66, Bentley published a large book of his photographs titled Snow Crystals. However, less than two weeks after his book was published, he walked six miles home in a snowstorm he caught pneumonia, and he died two weeks later. What irony, isn't it, to think this man who devoted most of his life to the study of snow, he was a meteorologist, ultimately died from walking in a snowstorm. Well, what's this got to do with anything? Well, I believe there are some lessons that we can learn from snow. There is no explanation of the universe, for example, except that God made it. I know man tries to come up with others, but we know they are false. The wonders of God's handiwork, my friends, are found in the tiniest details of everything that he has made. One powerful example of this is the beauty of the intricate design of a snow crystal. In uh, Job 38, verses 22, God was responding to Job, and he was describing the different aspects of creation that proved his right to control the universe. God said to Job, Have you entered the treasury of snow? Job 38, verse 22. The word snow appears in the Old Testament 22 times, and in the New Testament uh, three times. God was telling Job, I have a heavenly treasure house where wonderful things like snow are kept. Have you been there? Have you seen it? Do you know how it works? And if you'll read those chapters, you'll know that he said a great many things 
like this to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God is in control of the universe and creates all wonderful things, and he was reminding Job of this. God was telling Job, I have a heavenly treasure house where wonderful things like snow are kept. Have you been there? Have you seen it? Do you know how it works? God also mentioned in that very same verse the treasures of the hell. And in verse 23, he said, He has reserved them against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. Think about the hell that, Christ, that God sent on the Egyptians in Exodus 9:18. Think about the hell stones that are so giant they break men's backs that we read about in Revelation 16:21. The word hell is used 30 times in the Old Testament and 3 times in New Testament in Revelations. I didn't want anyone to think I was taking that pulling that verse out of context. So that's why even, even I wanted to let you see here that he's talking about the snow, but he's talking about the ice. But these things are in his treasure house. They're in a place reserved. They are beautiful, just like all of his creations. And also, we need to understand, and he was teaching Job, that man has no right to control the universe. Man has no right to criticize God's control of it because we did not make it, and we can't change anything about it. it could, we could not make it snow is uh, one of the many, that God could make it snow is one of the many proofs that God created the universe. I hesitated there a little bit because I know man can create snow now with a snow machine in a limited area, in a limited amount, if the conditions are right, but that's a totally different thing there. So God appreciates beautiful things. That's why he created the universe the way he did. Anyone who has ever seen a snowflake under a microscope cannot help but be amazed how beautifully complex they are. You know what God says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11? He says, we're told that God has made everything beautiful in its time. You see, God uses these things like we read about in Psalm 148 and 8. God uses these things to fulfill his will, to convince people of his word. He uses snow and hell and fire, all the treasures he has reserved in heaven. We see beauty everywhere we look at God's creation. We can see the beauty of a snowflake, but for thousands of years, humans, no one in human history, had ever observed the beauty of an individual snowflake. Think about that. But God could see this beauty all along. When we learn to appreciate beauty, I believe, beauty in nature, it will help us to appreciate God even more. We're even told in the Bible that the works of the firmaments, firmaments and the works of his hands and his creations testify to God that he is. Snowflakes are much like people. Snowf like snowflakes, every one of us is unique. You know there are two, no two snowflakes alike? None at all. Bentley at first expected that all snowflakes would be the same, but he was surprised to learn that all of those he examined were different. 
Bentley concluded that to the best of his knowledge, no snowflakes were, were an exact duplicate of any other snowflake. So what, you might say? Well, it's a beautiful thing, but my point is that likewise, no two people in this world are exactly alike. You are unique in the history of the world. Of all the billions of people who have ever lived upon this earth and ever will live, no one else is exactly like you and never will be. Not exactly like you. You are unique and you are special to God. Look at all the care he takes on these snowflakes, for instance. How intricate they are, how different they are, but yet he takes care of these things. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31, and all my quotes are from the New King James Version. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You're beautifully, wonderfully made, the Bible tells us. Each one is an individual, unique creation to God. He loves every one of us so much. There is none of us that he does not care for. Like snowflakes, every person can be beautiful, but in different ways. Just like no two snowflakes are identical, yet they're all beautiful, so you can be beautiful. Now, it may not necessarily be in the same way that someone else might be, may or may not ever be beautiful. It could, you may not be beautiful physically, but everyone can be beautiful spiritually. Romans 12.4 tells us that we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. But all are needed and required for the body to function properly. You are all individually and wonderfully made and needed and loved. Everyone has abilities that he or she can use to be beautiful before God. Sad to say, but like snowflakes, every one of us can become ugly and repulsive. Beautiful as snow can be when it first falls, it's pure, it's clean, it's white. It can end up becoming repulsive and it's filthy. Think after a couple of weeks, the slush along the side of the roads, the constant cars and the traffic, and it does become quite an eyesore. Sometimes there is an ugly time of year with the snow. And you know that's because the snow has been trodden under by man, man's machines, it's on the earth. And so when we get too involved in worldly things, we become like that. We can be ugly, we can be undesirable to God, and we lose our beauty by sinning. <clears throat> Proverbs 30 and 12 warns us that there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. We could say about that, about this generation. Preacher said it about the generation before that and the generation before that, and they'll be saying it about the next generation to come if there is one. 
Sin seems to get worse and worse, and every, in every age we seem to think that this is the worst of all possible. But based on some things in history, I tend to agree that people's hearts have gotten hard and calloused and colder than they have ever been in the history of humanity. And a lot of it is right here in this own country of ours. I uh, hope I'm wrong, but that's the way it appears. So we need to be washed from our filthiness. All people become ugly when they are defiled by sin. We may not see it, but God sees it. He looks on our insides. And I don't want God to turn away from me. He couldn't look at his son when he became sin. Took on the whole sins of the world. He became sin. God can't have anything to do with sin. But we're lucky in the fact that he loves us. He'll give us a chance even if we are in sin. He'll still love us. He'll still care for us. And he still wants us back. And he still sees our soul as pure and white the way it used to be in his mind's eye, I believe. We may not be that way now, but we can be that way again. And I believe God knows that. I believe God understands that. Or why else would he send his son, Jesus, down here to become a man and understand what it's like to be one of us, yet without sin, if he did not care for us and think we were beautiful and he did not love us? So God uses snowflakes to illustrate how pure and clean we can be when our sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, I believe. But like snowflakes... Unfortunately, we will not be here very long. Bentley said, When a snowflake melted, much beauty disappears without leaving any record behind. The Bible tells us in James 4.14 that you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, each of us will soon be gone, never to live on this earth again. Why not be cleansed of your sin if you have it? Why not become as white as snow, excuse me, in the eyes of God while you have the opportunity? If there is anyone here this evening that has not put on Christ in baptism, that has not become white as snow and had your crimson stains washed away by the blood of Jesus. You can do that today by hearing the word, by believing in Christ, by repenting of your sins, by confessing that he is the Son of God, and by being baptized for the remission of your sins. And if you're already one of his snowflakes, one of his beautiful children, and somehow you have been tinged by the world, or you're starting to get a little dirty, you can do something about it this evening. You can be white as snow once again. If you're not in a right relationship with God, now you have an opportunity to make it right or to obey the gospel for the first time. If you have a need, please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing.